Well, as we said at the beginning of this morning, uh, for those who were here at that time, uh, we're in the fourth Sunday of our sermon series, and we have been simply reminding ourselves of what these stones of remembrance are about on each side of this communion table. The stones of remembrance that we speak of a, a desire and an intentionality in 2012. Under the heading of First Things First, we've used commitment cards in December and uh, love letters to the Lord in January as we spelled out our intentions of how we might keep First Things First in 2012. And we come now to the fourth and last Sunday of this focus. Remember where we began with uh, elevating the supremacy of Christ from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Colossus. Uh, the supremacy of Jesus himself as Lord of all and Lord over all things, including our lives. And in week two, we talked about, um, in terms of first things first, our own lives as disciples, discipleship that we are to continue to develop and grow. Uh, we're not on a, uh, so much as a, a maintenance plan as a growth plan, uh, moving up and moving forward as disciples, growing. And last week, we talked about that whole vital inversion of our lives from getting to giving as a first things first posture. Pay God, pay yourself savings and pay your bills. But uh, as we put order our lives around God, the Lord Jesus, and perhaps we might say practically, especially with our finances. And this morning we speak of the ripple effect because the Lord Jesus has a purpose. He had a purpose in coming. He had a purpose in dying. He had a purpose in returning to heaven, seated at the right hand. He had a purpose in sending his own spirit at Pentecost. And his purpose was to impact the world. And he was only one man while he was here. And so he knew and understood that the way to impact the lives of others, to impact the lives of others, not only in the first century, but the 21st century, there must be some sort of ripple effect, that something must take place in the heart of his followers, that they too become Christ-like individuals and have a ripple effect from them out into the world because of that individual's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have here at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossus and to believers everywhere, that is us as well, some directions about relationships with others. And Paul himself, as he does in other letters, starts with family, husband and wife relationships, children and parent relationships. And we just dove in, picking up in this reading this morning, with wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Perhaps that sentence and the sentence in Ephesians where Paul says the same thing are two of the most abused sentences in all of Holy Scripture in terms of relationships because it doesn't mean what it looks like it means. It means something richer and deeper and profoundly important. It might be said something like this. Wives, honor your husband as the head of the household. And husbands, give up your life as head 
of the household. It is about relationships. It's less about submission and it's more about the quality of our relationships. I do appreciate that back in Ephesians in this same near the end of a letter, Paul begins this conversation about family relationships with another vital sentence that's often overlooked when he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That actually adds a bit of fullness to the story when you hear it that way. I don't know why that sentence gets overlooked or missed because it's very clear what it's describing. A life of mutual submission one to another under the Lord's guardianship and care. And so Paul elevates the family. He elevates our relationships in the family. And he says this is of first importance, you might say. How we treat one another, how we live with one another, how we honor one another, who we are and what we are as disciples. It plays its way out in all sorts of ways, but the the highest challenge of this is the head of the household is the spiritual head of the household. So truly, husbands, men, to be spiritual heads of the household and to serve the household is to be the one who leads the way to worship on Sunday morning. It's the one to lead by example life in your own small group with a group of men or some couples. It's to be the one who's reading the Bible in the morning as your child comes in to sit on your lap and they see how you're living as a spiritual head of the family. It is to lead the blessings at meals and on and on and on. And there's one catch in all this, and that is most husbands do not know how to be the spiritual head of their families. Uh, There's a great vacuum there that has not existed for disciples in every age, but as we emerge from the 20th century, it certainly has happened, is that men have lost that primary role that they have as spiritual heads. And part of our task here at St. Paul's is to help men and to show men how it looks to be a spiritual head of the family, which is to be the foot-washing servant of that family. So, for example, the Sunday news this morning for you to take home might be particularly read by the husbands, the fathers, the grandfathers of this parish as we describe a strategy that's in place to enable men to confidently assume that God-given responsibility to serve their family. And so there we speak of the men's breakfast is being used as a setting once a month for the men to gather that we might learn how to grow as godly men. In fact, I pray for my daughters virtually every day. And part of that prayer, I pray for them every day, but part of that prayer that I have been lifting up as these young adult women that they are now is that the Lord will provide for them not good men, godly men. Don't want fanatics either. Christian fanatics tend to go over the top in some way, and really it becomes a distortion of what God intended. 
godly men who are honorable and good, godly men who understand what it is to be a spiritual head of their family. So the men's breakfast is a vehicle we have made available for that purpose month to month. And the men's hike, which we've just completed, and again, a picture on the Sunday news and a reference to that. The men's hike is a particular strategy for raising up godly men to be spiritual heads of their household by impacting their own hearts and their relationship with the Lord Jesus. So next fall, another men's hike. Next spring, another men's hike. Next fall, another men's hike. And the spring and the fall after that, as we raise up men and give them the tools and the understanding of what their relationship with the Lord can mean for their lives as husbands and fathers. And as well, the Discipleship Essentials course, a year-long course of study that we are continuing to expand and have uh, a number of men, women as well, but a number of men's groups that are particularly focused for the year in growing in their knowledge and love of the Lord, growing in their relationship with the Lord, all for the purpose of raising up men for this generation who can be equipped and able to be spiritual heads of their household and that, that would have the most positive, most joyful, most glad aspects, consequences for every other member of every household. And so then Paul goes on to say, So children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. And children are likely and much more want to obey parents who understand all of this. And Paul goes on, and fathers, don't, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So Paul says, put aside anything that is unhelpful in your relationship with your children and instead put in place as spiritual head your love and Christ's love through you. All right. First things first, relationships. First relationships, our spouses. First relationships, our children. First relationships, those in our own home under our own roof. And then Paul, as he moves towards the conclusion of this letter, this ripple effect that ripples out from that as well, he speaks of what life can look like in the world as Christ's purpose is fulfilled through you so let's enjoy a film clip this morning and um, let's see how that might function under Christ's direction and guidance Most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment. Kim didn't. 
She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13, and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he'd been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. But he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people had never met. Do you get it? Isn't that beautiful? That can be your story too. The ripple effect. First things first. Jesus comes. Jesus lives among us. Shows us how to live and to love as the spiritual head of the whole family. And then he dies. Because that is his mission for us. He ascends to his rightful place where he is today. And he sends his Holy Spirit upon his disciples. Because Jesus intends to see the whole world changed by his love and his power in you and through you. One thing you do know is how the Lord has touched your life. You know that story better than anyone. How he touched it in some place of your life, perhaps years ago, 
or months ago, and maybe it was even last week yet again, but you know that story, and you can share it with others and produce the ripple effect. That's how Paul ends this letter to that church. He says this in the fourth chapter and last chapter, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful about your own life and how you live. Thankful for all that Christ and Lord has done for you, remembering that. And he goes on and says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. What a great prayer for us to ask for ourselves that God may open a door for our message tomorrow morning. Open my door for that message tomorrow morning for someone. And he goes on, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. He's even serving in under chains now in a prison, but writes with expectation of these opportunities to have the ripple effect. And he goes on and says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. In other words, that the word that I say, the story I have to tell, might be with such clarity that it will speak to the heart of another. And he concludes, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, those who are not here this morning, those whom you will encounter in the workplace or in your neighborhood or in your social club or in whatever setting, the outsiders who want and need what you have to be an insider. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul writes. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Peter says it in different words, but says the same thing when he says this, of this urgency to be part of the ripple effect. Peter writes in his letter, Always be prepared, disciples, to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone, anyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope in Christ Jesus. Your faith, your belief that you have. And he adds a qualifier and says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. For you don't want to cause harm or damage, but only good. We end our series. We move into summertime. We call ourselves and one another to keep first things first, the Lord Jesus. Our lives, our own development as disciples. Our generosity. And that we would be part of Jesus' plan in a tangible way. We, too, would be the ripple effect through us, out into the world, and making all the difference in the world for another person. Amen.